Today on Building in Faith with Pastor Ed Jones. Building in Faith Faith is more than optimism. I've seen many people have faith and they had the wrong type of faith. It created in them a tremendous conflict. It placed them in a position where they lost their trust in God. Because somehow they thought, well, this trial is going to end. This situation is going to cease. This is going to turn out exactly the way I think. Reaching up high with arms open wide, we see. You're changing our lives so we can be our hands and feet. Faith is believing without seeing. This is the definition the Bible teaches us and the perspective that we can take each day when we decide to follow Jesus and accept His sacrifice on the cross. Pastor Ed today, however, reminds us to watch what kind of faith we are relying upon. Faith that believes that God will do as He sees best is what we are asked to hold on to. But we must be careful to not believe wholeheartedly in an outcome that we have placed on the situation and expect God to honor it. Now here's Pastor Ed with today's message entitled, Faith That Defeats Doubt. I'd like you to open your Bibles to the Psalms, to Psalm number 73. Psalm 73. Surely God is good to Israel. To those who are pure in heart. I'm going to stop there just for a moment. The psalmist right at the beginning gives you his testimony of faith. Now he's going to show you how he got to his testimony of faith. It was through a valley. It was through some very difficult times where he almost lost his faith. Surely God is good to Israel to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous heart come iniquity. An evil conceit of their minds knows no limit. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, How can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like, always carefree. They increase in wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. In vain I have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been plagued. I've been punished every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all of this, 
It was oppressive to me till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. As a dream when one awakes. So when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yes, I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you'll take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it's good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of your deeds. Verse 1 is the psalmist's statement of faith. That statement of faith cost him greatly. It cost him trial, doubt, fear, pain. But when he came through that time of trial, doubt, fear, pain, he came with a sure creed that said, God is good. God's goodness sometimes is obscured and even lost in our particular trials. When the evil just seems to prosper and wicked people seem to do so well, we might wonder, God, where are you? I was reading a book from Good to Great, It's a book on business. And in that book, they gave an illustration of Jim Stockdale, Admiral Jim Stockdale. He was a prisoner of war. He was the highest-ranking United States military officer in the Hanoi Hilton prisoner war camp during the Vietnam War. And he was tortured over 20 times during an eight-year period. He was an encourager to all of those who were there in that prison camp. He made it out. And the author of the book had an interview with him. He was excited about this interview. So he began to read the story of his life. And in the story, his wife wrote a chapter, Stockdale's wife, and then Stockdale would write a chapter. And he said as he read the book, he became very depressed He said, I knew the end of the story. But as I read about the torture and the suffering and all that Stockdale was going through, I just became overwhelmed with depression. And he was reading the book in preparation for a luncheon appointment he had with him. And I'd like to pick up the conversation that he has. He said, Here I am sitting in my warm and comfortable office looking out over the beautiful Stanford campus on a beautiful Saturday afternoon. I'm getting depressed reading this and I know the end of the story. 
I know he gets out, reunites with his family, becomes a national hero, and gets to spend the latter years of his life studying philosophy on the same beautiful campus. It feels depressing for me to know how on earth did he deal with all that he went through. And he said, I never lost faith in the end of the story. This is what Stockdale says to him. I never doubted, not only that I would get out, but also I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into a defining event of my life, which in retrospect, I would not trade. I didn't say anything for many minutes. We continued the slow walk towards the faculty club. Stockdale limping and arch swinging his stiff leg that never fully recovered from the repeated torture. Finally, after about a hundred meters of silence, I asked, who didn't make it out? Oh, that's easy, he said. The optimist. The optimist? I don't understand. I said, now completely confused, given what he said a hundred meters earlier. The optimist. Oh, they were the ones who said, we're going to be out by Christmas. And Christmas would come and Christmas would go. Then they said, we're going to be out by Easter. And Easter would come and Easter would go. And then Thanksgiving. And then it would be Christmas again. They died of a broken heart. Another long pause. More walking. Then he turned to me and said, this is a very important lesson. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. And he used that statement that Stockdale gave him to write that chapter four in that book, Goodness to Greatness. He talked about companies that would not confront the facts that escaped into some reality that didn't exist. And I thought that statement sums up so beautifully a spiritual truth that the psalmist is talking about. Let me read it once more to you. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you could never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality whatever they might be. Faith is more than optimism. I've seen many people have faith and they had the wrong type of faith. It created in them a tremendous conflict. It placed them in a position where they lost their trust in God because somehow they thought well, this trial is going to end. This situation is going to cease. This is going to turn out exactly the way I think. And they would begin to deny the reality of their situation. I still remember it like it was yesterday. It was a double funeral. I was a young pastor. The man had believed, and I know he believed, that God was going to heal him. His wife believed. His children believed. He had been a good man, a good businessman. He had given money to the church. He had given 
generously to those in need. He loved his family. But there, in those last few moments of life, they realized that God wasn't going to heal him and he would die. I was with the family, prayed, comforted them. Hours later, I received a phone call. Could you please come, Pastor? Just weeping on the other end of the phone. I didn't know what had happened. His wife, who had a weak constitution, was so overwhelmed with sorrow that her husband wasn't healed because they had prayed, they had believed, they had trusted, that she couldn't handle the reality. She went down and there in her basement she hung herself. And I remember the sorrow and despair that filled that home. The psalmist looked at the apparent contradictions of life he looked at the evil prospering, the wicked prospering, and he almost lost his footing. It's necessary to feed your faith, and your doubts will starve to death. It's absolutely necessary. Faith is not contingent on us dictating to God what he will do in the circumstances of life. It's recognizing, and hear me, that God's hand is on you in spite of what happens to you. Here's what happened to the psalmist at verses 2 and 3. My first point, he was Envious in his observation. An envious observation leads to doubt. In Psalm 73 it reads, But as for me, my feet almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I have a pair of shoes at home that whenever I wear them and it's raining, I could slip. I feel like I could lose my balance. Or if I'm on a slippery surface, so I wear them sparingly. I want to get rid of them. But <sighs> did you ever feel like you're going to lose your balance spiritually? Something happens in your life and it throws you for a loop. Something happens and you wonder, where is God? God, I don't understand what you're doing. Why? Have you allowed this to happen? Well, that's what this psalmist was caught up in. First of all, he saw the prosperity of the wicked. And that's what caused him to slip. In verses 4 and 5, When I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for they have no pains, their bodies are sound and sleek, they're not stricken like other men. It seemed... From all outward appearance, they enjoyed great physical health. A man working beside you, the woman in your office, uh, the next door neighbor that lives next door to you. They don't go to church. They don't tithe. They don't give. And yet, you struggle financially. 
And yet there's pain in your body. And yet you're battling with sickness. How do you reconcile the fact that the wicked seem to flourish and the godly seem to suffer? Seems to me sometimes there's more sickness among God's people than among the unsaved. In spite of all the faith preaching that you hear, well, you're working beside someone and they're cheating at their business. They're dishonest. They're just playing up to the supervisor. They get the promotion, you get passed over. You have a business and you work hard at being honest and doing the right thing. And another person, they're cutting corners, they're lying to the customer, but yet they seem to do so much better than you do. The prosperity of the wicked was a difficulty to him. The pride of the wicked, verses six to nine. Therefore, pride is like their necklace. In those days, men and women both wore necklaces. It says, violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out with fatness. In other words, he was saying, you could see their pride in their eyes, their heart, their speech. They act as if it doesn't matter about God. It doesn't matter about a person's destiny. It doesn't matter about tomorrow. They're going to do what they want. They walk with pride and with arrogance. How many of us have stumbled at times when we've looked at the arrogant and their success. In Psalm 73, 9, it says this, they boast again against the very heavens and their words strut throughout the earth. That's the New Living Translation. I see people get on television and they're unbelievers, maybe scientists, agnostics, or atheists, and they happen to talk about creation. Let an evangelical scientist get on television and talk about his view of creation, that God created the earth. And he's scoffed at, ridiculed, laughed at, pushed off as some simpleton. The psalmist was struggling with the fact that the arrogant, the wicked are often proud because they're so successful. And the more he thought about this, the more it troubled him. Not only the pride of the wicked, not only the prosperity of the wicked, but their popularity. The text says, and I want to read to you from the New Living Translation and then the Message Translation. And so the people are dismayed and confused, drinking in all their words. Listen to the Message Translation. What's going on here? Is God out to lunch? Nobody's tending the store. The wicked get by with everything. They have made it, piling up riches. I've been stupid to play by the rules. What has it gotten me? A long run of bad luck. That's what? A slap in the face every time I walk out the door. That's the message translation. Here's how the psalmist felt. Now, I want you just for a moment to imagine with me, what are the psalms? They were the hymnal of the Old Testament. They were the hymns. They sang this in church. They sang this, and it was part of their Hebrew liturgy. Why did they sing this? Because I believe this is an experience common to men. 
Sidney Harris lamented the fact in the World Almanac Book of Facts, they surveyed eighth graders, 2,000 of them, on who their heroes were. And they said the heroes of these eighth graders were the celebrities and the movie stars and the sports figures. He lamented the fact that these people were not the great statesmen or authors or painters or musicians or architects or doctors. Or... That's not what captured the children's imagination. And he went on to say this. He said, the heroes created by our society are people who have made it big but not necessarily people who have done big things. As you look at our culture, as you look at the society, who does the pop culture worship? Who do they honor? Well, the wicked. It doesn't matter if a man has morals, does he have charisma? It doesn't matter if she has integrity, is she beautiful? It doesn't matter if they have righteousness or they write, are they successful? And so the psalmist struggled with this dilemma in his heart. In the play, Amadeus, later made into a film, Peter Schaefer pitches Mozart and Antonio Solaria. Antonio is a musician, he's a composer, and he writes some beautiful compositions. And in his youth, he prays this prayer to God. Lord, make me a great composer. Let me celebrate your glory through music. Make me famous, dear God, make me immortal. After I die, let people speak my name forever with love for what I've wrote. In return, I'll give you my chastity, my industry, my deepest humility every hour of my life. Amen. Well, Mozart's career skyrocketed, and he overshadowed Antonio's. Antonio became jealous and angry because Mozart appeared to him to be a lustful, proud, arrogant, foolish person. And Mozart was a genius. Antonio, in the play, takes a crucifix and he cries out to God saying, you're unjust, you're unfair, you're unkind. And he throws the crucifix into the fire. And he says, God, I'm going to oppose Mozart, your creation. The psalmist was at a place in his life where he was ready to take matters into his own hands. He was ready as he looked at the situation and he sized up the prosperity and the pride and the popularity of the wicked. He began to think about it. Listen to his words again. What's going on here? Is God out to lunch? Nobody tending the store? The wicked get by with everything. They've made it. They're piling up riches. I've been stupid to play by the rules. Bitterness, the acid of envy, filled the heart of Antonio, and he deteriorated as a man as he plotted in the play The Death of Mozart. 
The Psalms are a wonderful place to turn to when in the midst of the most difficult times in this life. Pastor Ed will be sharing a 14-part series of messages from the book of Psalms with hopes that you'll be encouraged each time you join us. You've been listening to Building in Faith, the radio ministry of Dr. Edward Jones of Faith Assembly in Poughkeepsie, New York. Now, we want to encourage you to log on to buildinginfaithradio.com and spend some time getting to know us. There you can find today's message. The only thing you need to remember is today's date. Again, to stay current with what's being broadcasted here on Building in Faith and to access the archive of messages, log on to buildinginfaithradio.com. Or if you'd like, you can always give us a call. Our phone number is 845-462-5955. That's 845-462-5955. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We invite you to join us again for the next edition of Building in Faith. On behalf of Pastor Ed, Faith Assembly, and the entire production team, we want to say thank you for joining us and come back next time for another edition of Building in Faith. Your word.